Welcome, everybody, to Unscripted Equity Curiosity number 21, uh, the podcast that we have here at Hedgeye for me, Ami Joseph, uh, doing the technology sector, and Andrew Friedman uh, running the communications and media and internet sector, and Felix Wong running the Hedgeye China sector. We're without uh, Felix today, so it's just me and Andrew. And um, stocks are falling uh, in both of our sectors, and seems like maybe they're going to keep falling. So there's um, there's a story I want to share and throw it into Andrew's lap and see how he responds, um, and then he'll probably try to twist it and throw it right back at me. And 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 here's the story, okay? So in that, in, I heard the story. This is told to me by one of the most famous um, portfolio managers in the world. He runs the literally the the largest mutual fund in the world today. When in 1987. This famous portfolio manager at the time was an analyst. He was a retail analyst at his mutual fund. And 1987, there was a day in October, a Monday in October called Black Monday, where the market basically just collapsed. And in that collapse, during that collapse or, or precipitated by that collapse, his portfolio manager came running into his office and said, or so he tells the story like this, and said, this guy's name is Will. Will, what is the cheapest stock in your coverage? And at the time, Will said Sears, which was correct in 1987 on Black Monday. In that moment, it was the cheapest in the stock. And his portfolio manager, Bruce Johnstone, turned around and walked, ran out of the room and went to go buy Sears. And did really well with that, by the way, for like a good year and a half. It way outpaced the market. It was a great long, all that kind of stuff. But Will was telling me this story, me and a group of others, this story in 2008 when the market was falling in November of 2008. And Will said in November 2008, he said he, that not a day went by that he didn't regret saying Home Depot. And at the time, Home Depot was not the cheapest stock in the sector. Uh, Sears was. But Home Depot had you know, fallen with everything else, was still like somewhat expensive. But Home Depot was on a path to potentially you know, crush it from there. And it went on to beat the stock market for the next 20 years or 25 years or 30 years, whatever it was. And he just wishes that he had taken that moment to put all his eggs and say, don't do Sears, even though it's cheaper, do Home Depot. So now, Andrew, with stocks falling, it's time to sharpen our pencils. And the risk in this moment is that we're going to see things like Sears that are going to look really, really cheap. And in fact, we'll be right. They are too cheap and they will go back up and money can be made on that kind of trade. But the time and investment and the opportunity of the moment um, to grab the Sears will mean that we are using minutes and basis points and, and effort instead of putting in the Home Depot. So throwing this at you right now, Andrew, and uh, this correction seems like it's just really early so far. It just seems like a mini pullback, but let's just anticipate that this is you know kind of like a bigger drawdown, a bigger pullback. Um, which stock in your space can you start to think is Sears and which is which is Home Depot? And maybe it's one that you haven't really, you've only started to look at and you have some like high level thoughts about, but 
I'm throwing this, I'm throwing this at you. You take it how you want to take it, but this is, I'm throwing this in your lap. Yeah, sure. Um, so it's interesting uh, because you know, we've had a pretty successful short call on our space going into the last couple months here. Um, and, you know, in the very short term, you know, fundamentals are just deteriorating, you know, tough comps, COVID comps. We've talked about a lot on this podcast and elsewhere. Um, but there are some pockets of opportunity that I've just been kind of stalking and, you know, we've been doing the work and I have to do more work on it, but, um, the video game space is getting really interesting. Um, so I just keep looking at Activision every single day and it just goes down every single day. And, uh, there's a lot of issues facing the company currently. Uh, there's a scandal with the CEO, um, there's lack of leadership. The most recent um, Call of Duty rollout with Vanguard was pretty much a flop. And there's this ongoing debate around like the video game publishers and are these hit-driven businesses? Yes, but they also have you know very durable franchises. So is it a hit-driven business in the sense that you know Disney is a hit-driven business, right? Uh, but they also have great you know brands and franchises that they can leverage and you know generate a lot of free cash flow and high probability hits off that. Um, and so I'm sitting here looking at Activision and it's trading at uh, you know nine times next year's EBITDA. Maybe that's too low. Uh, maybe that EBITDA estimates are too low for next year. Um, that's a possibility. But at the same time, you know, if we go back like 15 years, it's um, like at the lowest it's been in that time period. So the risk here is that um, it's, I don't want, maybe it's similar to kind of legacy media in a sense, right? Where this is just never going to be a high multiple business. At the same time, you know, they own some of the best franchises in the video game interactive media space. Um, and there's just been a lot of bad news in addition to them comparing against, you know, really tough comps this year. Um, due to you know the spike in video game consumption and consumable consumption that we saw, um, you know in uh, 2020 with COVID lockdown, so it, it's a name that I've been you know dusting off and trying to get up the current run because I think it's interesting, um, and it does look cheap. <laughs> so yeah, I mean the risk is that you know I shouldn't be doing work on Activision down here because uh, there's also like you know. They bought King Digital, there's Candy Crush, there's a mobile element here, there's World of Warcraft. Um, but I should be looking at a Roblox instead, right? And that's a little bit more, um, you know, metaverse focused, mobile game. Um, and that's kind of what everyone's super excited about. However, <laughs> that hasn't really corrected. So in the spirit of looking at names that have maybe of getting you know, the baby getting thrown out with the bathwater, right? Um, you know, I wouldn't put Roblox in that bucket, but definitely Activision's one that is seems really interesting. Um, that would be probably a low risk, high probability bet that if you can just kind of close your eyes and buy it here, you wake up 12 to 18 months down the road and a lot of the problems have resolved themselves. The fundamentals get better, the multiple re-rates. Um, but, you know, not fully there yet. Uh, but that's just one that I was actually looking at just before we started this. Um, I don't know if you have any experience with that one, Ami, uh, at all or have anything to add, but that's, that's kind of where my head's at at this very moment. 
Well, uh, gosh, I love where your head is at. Uh, that just sounds like awesome. Um, I agree 100% that buying games is buying like, you know, the game, ma a game maker or the game makers um, sounds great unless there is some massive secular change at hand which disintermediates them but if it's just the same shit different day and it's like oh there's a management change or there's a scandal or whatever it is plus like a you know omicron plus you know whatever like shade fading high multiple stocks like that just seems like a genius opportunity um i would say that when i think about the future of this Bucket. Like, I don't know if it's Activision or someone else, but the way you pitched Activision sounds like it's Activision. But um, the way I think about this bucket is that as games, graphics for games improve and the games themselves improve, um, they are effectively movies like already that you're the lead character in. And if my if Facebook really is going to give me an opportunity to metaverse these things, then the experience of you know being in those games um will be like more compelling than going to the movies right because like you're a spectator and you're also inside and it's the, you know whatever all of that fantasy stuff um which could go mainstream over the next 20 years i don't know whatever it is like the question so i i i like these and i think also they're under um under uh, under experienced as brands and what i mean is that like typically it's been uh gaming has been the passion fruit for like a young cohort but um at least as far as i understand and correct me if i'm wrong the uh people are playing games like longer and longer so instead of it be just being 18 to 24 year olds people at 35 are still playing who started at 18, right? Cause it's yeah, like, no, definitely. Like the, yeah. The millennials, the millennials are still playing. A lot of them are still playing. You know, big yeah. So grew up when, with and yeah. So yeah. when that generation hits 55 and they're the, like the biggest earners and the biggest spenders and whatever it is, these brands have some position that is important too, right? Like there's something that, that they that they can explore in that direction whether it's you know more in-game advertising or whatever i don't know what the business model would be to monetize that but the brands of these things will not be niche they will be main they can become mainstream so i i, I love your thought that's a great and very like long-term forward thought of like a 20-year thought process yeah i mean i think the like the disintermediation risk is really like like as i mentioned like roblox right like is if the metaverse is real, do you just, you know, do, do the con is there a risk to the consoles, right? Um, and I think, you know, the, and that's always been kind of like a, lo a looming risk, like with the rise of, you know, cloud gaming, like, are you going to need a video game console? And then it always comes down to, well, <laughs> you know, there's really only one way to get, you know, the graphics requirements, uh, the speed that you, you know, need to, play these games effectively and have it be a good experience and that's having you know the actual console so uh i'm not it's gonna be interesting to see how it kind of you know evolves but it, even in that scenario though like you would still think that the the ip owners the publishers the software developers for these games are still you know in a pretty um 
you know, pretty decent spot, all things together, uh, all things considered. And it's not like, you know, an Activision or take two, you know, couldn't, uh, you know, also produce content um, leveraging their IP for, you know, different types of, um, you know, mediums, whether it's not console, maybe it's cloud, maybe it's in the metaverse. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, just, it's an interesting opportunity, I think. I mean, the stock's basically gone from, call it like, it's, it's basically like it doubled in 2020 and now it's gotten kind of half in 2021. <laughs> and so we're kind of like fully round tripped. Um, but, you know, the fundamentals of the business, you know, I think on a secular basis are still pretty sound. It's just, you know, these companies tend to go through cycles and, you know, if you can kind of time it right and you can get conviction and, you know, what's priced in, I think it could be an interesting opportunity, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's just something I was, uh, you know, tossing around. So I appreciate the input. What about, what about you? What's, uh, what do you, what's kind of piquing your interest or are you, you looking at these days? Yeah. So I, like just doing the same exercise. So like, you know, the software index is down, the software ETF is down more than 10% already. And uh, definitely some big names pulling back. And, and like you said, we, we like you, we, we, we sort of called this, right? We had that the September 23rd call out and then we had the one yesterday. Um, uh, just looking at, you know, kind of like a, a return to normal trend line growth, which we think is actually, the trend line is actually beautiful and healthy and will grow and all those good things. But like, there was like an excess sort of, I guess what I consider cyclically like a pent up demand that got spent. And now that pent up demand is spent. And so we have to, we don't have excess uh, trend line plus, you know, extra spending. We just, we're going to have, go back to trend line and there's, there, you know, street estimates are too high for 2022. And so, you know, kind of like, this is the pullback and here it is. Um, the problem is, Andrew, that like the ones that I'd want to sharpen my pencil on and buy um, aren't really down. Like I'm talking about like, well, well, that, that's the same, that's the same thing with me though. That's like when I said, when I mentioned Roblox, right. Yeah. Like that's, it actually was up. Like it, it so it's, it's, it's interesting because um, yeah, I'm in the same seat. So I'm sorry to interrupt it. Go ahead. No, no, I, I, I hear you. Like, so like, for example, um, Snowflake really isn't like down very much. Right. Like, but it, has this really good business model where first of all it's like next generation technology uh next generation you know it's the, it, it is the next thing and it is um uh it's early in its conquest of what's ahead and the conquest size of this thing that they're going after is just enormous um and so they they spend <laughs> all their cost and all their energy on uh all their sorry upex cost <clears throat> and all their energy on landing customers. Um, once they land the customers, customers, um, re the revenue is all like usage on their platform. And usage is like companies accessing their data, running data queries and adding more data sets. And as we know from history, data size and data, data size only goes in one direction. And Snowflake's been, you know, which is up and to the right and large. And so that's good for Snowflake. And then also like in terms of, you know, Snowflake has made it much easier to access analytics than historically for any enterprise company to act, run data sets. And so every time, you, so the easier you make it, the more data analytics queries will be. And so you're basically creating a path where, you know, the customers you've won already are going to grow and grow and grow and grow for forever on your platform. 
Um, and it's still worth it for them because they're getting more and more insight. Um, and they're still winning. They're still like their customer additions were up 52% year over year, for example. So they're still growing very, very rapidly. And it's just, it is the future, right? So Snowflake, another one, Twilio. Twilio's down. I don't think it's all the way at the bottom yet. I don't want, I don't want to call a bottom here, but like, I think Twilio is in that bucket of going to be, it's also usage-based and also going to grow very, very fast as it comes out of the, all this. That is That one is down to sharpen the pencils. Confluent um, isn't down at all. And that is a next generation one. Shopify also is a next generation winner. It's, it's you know, GMV is, um, I don't know, there's a couple of different ways of measuring it, but like just the absolute report of GMV is like as big as Amazon now and, and it's and it's growing obviously much faster. So, but but, um, but, Shop, but Shopify, they had a, they were big. I mean, and, and I know that they struck a deal with Facebook. We were tracking it pretty closely, but the, but it, you know, they had a big boost coming out of COVID, right? So like, it's, it's probably not down, but it's also like, well, if you go back over the last like 12 to 18 months, it's probably, you know, flat up a little bit, right? Is that over that period? Because it was such a big COVID winner and it's kind of just been like Amazon almost just kind of treading water as it kind of digests this, the massive growth um, that came its way. And no, I mean, is, or... yeah, no, I mean, even on this recent pullback, like Shopify's down from like 1700 to 1450, it's still up 35% on the one year and Amazon's, I think, down a couple points. So, or, or flat. So it's, it's crushed Amazon. Um, They've way outperformed on growth rate. Uh, they're so early. They're just, Andrew, they're so early in what's going on around Shopify. Um, and their technology also is still like crappy in the sense, like they're still really have a lot of improvement, a road of improvement ahead for them, which I, I say that in a bullish way, really, because like, you know, they've done this well with bad tools. Like, can you, and, and, and it's not like they're satisfied with their own tools. They continue to iterate, they rewrite their software constantly and, and, um, they're continuing yeah. to launch. They're basically going to become a massive ERP provider because they've launched, in addition to their core commerce, you know, thing, they've got, you know, they've got payments in there and fulfillment and, uh, and they'll have, they have marketing automation. And so like they're going after all these software categories that are all part of like Oracle's old, you know, ERP bucket. <laughs> and they don't yeah. say, they don't, they, they're like, why would we go to, you know, do ERP? We're going to, we're going to give people the functional equivalent anyway. I'm like, okay, but whatever. Like, you know, sp sp split your hairs. Like you, you don't want to, this is the, I'm talking, uh, Toby, Tobias doesn't say anything ridiculous, but their president sometimes says ridiculous stuff, Harley. And uh, so I'm like, you want to speak or say ridiculous things, whatever. But like you're functionally replacing the ERP. You're going to yeah. give them a CRM. You're going to give them accounting yeah, software. Let's, you're give let's, them not call it, let's not call it ERP. It's just not yeah, as, whatever you not want, whatever you want. Yeah. But that, even that side, merchant solution so early. And, um, and so, you know, like the functional equivalence is so low, like it's just got the, the, the best thing a short could say is it got a COVID boost and you shorted on the COVID comparison. And I shrugged my shoulders thinking like, okay, like that I'm hoping because that'll just give buyers a chance to load up big because the, the ecosystem that's being created around them is so large that, I, I don't think it's a stretch to think about Shopify as like bigger than Amazon on a market cap basis in the future. I mean, excluding AWS, right? But even that, if you think about how Amazon was able to leverage the e-com side to go and build that, you know, enterprise software side, they can leverage the software tools that they provide to, uh, to their merchants, uh, to their customers at some point, 
maybe there are cloud elements, cloud infrastructure elements that, you know, that they can also participate. I, I think that's, you know, I don't think they even need to think about that for 10 years, right? But like, there's something there that potentially for them um, on a transaction basis, if they find a better way or a lower cost way or a more efficient way. So I think that's, that's another one. And then, you know, I would say also Cloudflare, but it's it's barely pulled back um, from its, you know, kind of nosebleed position. So those are the ones that stand out to me as like in the winner's circle on a 10-year basis, and you want to sharpen your pencils and be ready to upgrade your portfolio for those. But like, I don't know, if, I don't know if we're going to get, I don't know what's, you know, if we're going to, if the group is down. And then on the other side, by the way, when I think about like, where there are going to be head fakes, like, like for example, who's Sears? I kind of think Salesforce is going to end up being the Sears because Salesforce is just buying their way into oblivion. And yes, they make great acquisitions. And in theory, the story they tell is good, like where, you know, they're going to have MuleSoft using APIs to connect all the different software together to give you a customer 360 view and, I, I just don't know. Like, I, I, are, what customer feels satisfied with what they've bought from? I mean, uh, maybe there are customers who have enormous amounts of like IT service professional work invested in customization, and they're very satisfied with their Salesforce. But like, I don't know. Broadly speaking, if customers are all that satisfied, maybe that's a radical thing to say because like it's a massive company. But like, I don't well, well the the switching costs. For Salesforce are pretty high, right? Like it's pretty painful for an organization to transfer yes. everything out from their CRM, right? And so, yes, like that's so. I, I think like you know the way I've always thought about that one is like, well, if you can somehow lower the switching costs, which I don't know if that's even possible because they make it really hard to do, uh, you know, then all of a sudden you know you can get to a better solution because Salesforce is at least from my own personal experience with it isn't. Uh, the most straightforward and I just feel like there's gotta be a better, better solution out there. But um, yeah, I don't know. No, I, I, and, by, I, and by the way, this is like an Apple thing where um, remember when Apple had us all locked in with our music libraries. Right. And yep. that was like the lock on all of us and nobody could ever go away from Apple because you've invested thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of buying all your music and downloading your music, whatever into your um, iTunes and, and, and then along comes streaming. <laughs> and then along comes streaming and obviates yeah. the need to do that to really. And by the way, that is something that can happen to Salesforce because what Salesforce at the core does, at the, at the very core, like its original founding core, is it gives you like a place to store customer data and information. Like if you're my customer, oh yeah, I mean, I'm going to put my Andrew in the, in the CRM. And I talked to Andrew today, put that in the CRM. Like it seems like that could become unlocked that there could be something better that replaces it much more seamless and automated where i'm not sitting there like currently andrew by the way i have like 25 conversations i have to log in salesforce that i haven't logged why because I freaking hate going in there it's a big waste of my time um something that would automate all of that and obviate the need even to just log things into a database um so uh, I don't know, Confluent, for example, is a streaming data system. And I, I wonder if somebody could build something on top of Confluent um, that would just be like, like literally like I'm having a conversation with you, my customer and the sales guy, 
you know, Josh Balch gets a notification and that's like, and it goes into a system where, you know, the, the head of sales and the, you know, whatever, like gets all of that stuff is automated. And there's some, anyway, you see where I'm going with this. There's a much easier way that it's not science fiction for me to say all these things. All this crap is here. It's not, it's not yeah. like, it's not like somebody has to reinvent the wheel to do this. This is like easy stuff that's all out there that they could do to obviate Salesforce's lock on all of us. So I think that's coming. Um, but who in your space would be the Sears? Like who in your space would be like, yes, it'll get cheap at some point, but like it's a freaking head fake and it might not be here in 10 years or might not be in the same shape and size and, you know, destiny in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if I really have a Sears. I mean, I, you know, I think the, I mean, obviously it, within media, there's all the legacy media companies, right? So, um, and there's a, constant risk of disruption there it's ongoing that's not really at risk it's just because it's, it's a tangible risk because it's real it's happening um you know the shift to streaming and the undoing of the you know cable bundle has really just been weighing on the unit economics of those businesses for a really long time um and so you know i think maybe like going back four or five years ago you know maybe it'd be easier to claim one of those companies as a series i think there's a lot of people that are are still betting against Disney that kind of have that view uh, just because so much of the business and the cash flow is still coming from these like legacy linear, uh, you know, sh- uh, streams. So there's that, um, you know, the other thing to think about too is like, is a Facebook like Sears, right. And, uh, you know, I'm, that's probably turned some people off, but the reality is, um, you know, it's a mature company, lots of users, um, you know, could it potentially get disintermediated down the road if the world really goes to more of a decentralized system? Um, it's possible. Uh, is Mark Zuckerberg uh, spending $10 billion a year to build the metaverse? Um, however, he might be building it um, in a way that is not really, you know, conducive to where the future is going. Right. Um, so if he's trying to build a hardware platform that's more centralized to try to compete against Apple and Google, which have their own you know, centralized ecosystem, um, is that really where the world's going to be 10 years from now? And does that put them you know, at risk? It's kind of like when you know, they made the switch to mobile with HTML5 like a long time ago, and then it cost them a lot of money and lost time, like years, you know, before it, and they eventually had to pivot to the new standard. So, which was the right one. So it does make me wonder, you know, what's the risk is that they're just so early that what they're building for, they just, you know, something else might come along, a new standard um, that they will eventually have to pivot to down the road if they want to continue to maintain their edge. Um, so, so it's just maybe a little bit more controversial thought, um, but it's one totally that is, controversial. you know, I, possible. And I, and I love it. And I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I love it. I, so, so wait, so, so hold on. So, so I'll tell you what, what I like about Facebook is that Mark is uh, basically starting a new company called, you know, Meta, whatever, you know, and he's trying to be an entrepreneur again in the sense of he's like willing to like basically say, you know, F off. Like, I don't care about everything I've built so far. I'm going to build something totally new that will dwarf everything that I've built before. But 
like in what like it seems like he's taking it's like why doesn't he just have facebook gift him a massive balance sheet and separate take oculus and whatever engineers he needs and go do this startup and totally separate and let some bureaucrat or whatever run facebook who's really going to think about like how do i need to evolve social media and and the instagram like literally you know becoming a marketplace and all that and and find a way to win on that trajectory. And, and maybe it maybe won't grow as fast, but it could be like a massive cash flow generator. I don't, you know, whatever it is, like, you know, you, you'd have better sense of like what that could be, but like, why wouldn't they, why wouldn't they split those the two, 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 two things in, the things into two? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably the same reason why, you know, when Google made the switch to Alphabet, right? That they didn't just like decide to carve off all the pieces, but it makes for, you know, from a financial analyst standpoint. So, it's always fun have. to do like, oh, what's no, this Google worse should have, that by the way. Google should have. Because it's like the whole, the thing that, you know, the thing that held Google back from having success with all their amazing science projects is the massive success of the search business. Because like at the end of the day, if the search business is spitting off so much freaking data yep. every quarter, like, do you really need to stay and work all night to get the next thing done? Do you really have to take risks on a business model front? Do you really have to like, do oh, that's true. To really but then, like, but yeah, but that's true. But then you also like, then the flip side of that is like access to capital, right? I mean, I guess there's still ways that they could take, spin it off, take an equity investment, right? And still, you know, be a capital partner um, and structure it that way. But then like, are you still basically, you know, in the same seat as you were like under the umbrella, but you're just giving up potential future optionality in that business, you know, if you, if you really truly believe what you're building. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, we don't have to go into like, you know, the Google rabbit hole, but like with the case of Facebook, I mean, I think that the issue here is that like, it's not just about, it's not just about building something else that is maybe complementary to or adjacent to what Facebook and Instagram is today. It's about building something that is, you know, fundamentally like, transforms the current social media landscape, right? So the future isn't just like Facebook and Instagram and then Oculus and the metaverse, right? The future is integrating all, integrating Facebook, Instagram and folding that in to the metaverse in which, you know, Facebook and social elements are just, you know, one part of that in addition to commerce. So I think that there's reasons why strategically you don't want to really give that up entirely now um and then you know financially speaking i mean it's 10 billion dollars a year they're spending to build this like if you just carve out oculus on a standalone basis i can pretty much tell you that there's nowhere near 10 billion dollars of revenue right so it, it just really like i'm not really sure like I've, we've seen some pretty crazy stuff like zero revenue companies, like especially in like the EV space, but I, you know, command these huge multiples on selling a story. Um, maybe they could successfully do that again, but I don't know. It just seems like it's for now, at least it seems like it's better suited within Facebook. And, you know, Mark has a pretty established track record of, you know, pivoting the organization at multiple key times and, you know, creating value for shareholders in the long run. I mean, it, the, the, the difference with this one, of course, is that, you know, it's when you're going from desktop to mobile, like it was easier to see where mobile was headed, right? Like, I mean, even like 
seven, 10 years ago. You know, today it's really hard to see, you know, exactly what the metaverse is or what he's actually trying to build. And we have, I mean, you can go on their website and spend, you know, six hours just going through different like visions and videos of how like Mark is thinking about it. And it is really interesting. Um, However, it's just, you know, is there going to be a killer app? Is there going to be the consumer business use case that's really going to drive people to this? And in, you know, at least the next five years, the answer is probably no. Um, But, you know, if they can actually do it to scale and have it work, then, yeah, I mean, you can think about it and then there's it working and then you have to like think about all like the social consequences of that, like, you know, uh, you know, if we're all living in the metaverse and interacting in the metaverse and, you know, what does that mean for our real lives? Um, but that's a, a bigger picture, you know, thing to consider. But, um, but I, I, I do think keeping it together is probably at least this stage the best. The other thing is like, oh, well, you know, what happens if you don't take, if you take that $10 billion, don't make that investment, you know, uh, lever Facebook up like three times. You know, and, you know, can you buy back like a third of your float, you know, and kind of do like a huge Dutch auction, similar to like what Apple did um, and create value, shareholder value that way. I think that's you know, potentially, you know, it's interesting financial engineering in the short term, but I don't know if that's, you know, the right decision um, for the terminal value of the company. Steve Jobs right. would never have done that, by the way. No, never. he definitely yeah. never, never. He was anti-buyback. He was anti-investors in general. Um, yeah, he, yeah. He would never yeah. have wanted to give cash to them. He would have spent it on other things. He would have built an airline. I don't know, something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyway, it's going to be interesting to see how this whole thing with Facebook plays out. Um, I think, you know, if I had, if we could invest in no names that you know we have, uh, you know, I would, I would bet on it. I would, I would take my own money, and you know, I wouldn't make it a huge part. But I would definitely be willing to, you know, underwrite Mark Zuckerberg's vision for the metaverse and what he's doing. You know, he's been a historically successful capital allocator. Um, you know, his ability to pivot, I think, is pretty impressive. Um, and I think there's the potential. And he's doing really kind of what no one else is doing, right? Like, there's not many companies out there that are spending that type of capital with that amount of resources um, on the engineering side. To, to build this. Um, and so, you know, he has a better shot in that sense out of many that are probably not exclusively focused on that. Um, and then, you know, the core business is still pretty cheap, even though numbers are probably too high for next year, but long-term, you know, I just don't think you're going to, you know, if you have, if you're buying Facebook today and you have like a five-year view, I just don't think you're going to, you'll make money. Like you think you'll be pretty happy with that decision. Um, but we'll see. Awesome. I think that's, uh, that's a great place to wrap. Um, so I appreciate everybody for, uh, for jumping on and, and listening and Andrew, of course, for, uh, having the conversation, very inspiring conversation, a lot of things to think about a lot of opportunity ahead to sharpen the pencil and, uh, and figure stuff out both on the long side and the short side. Thanks everybody.
This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at Hedgeye.com slash Terms of Service.